0: Today, I'll be reading Cupcakes and Kittens, chapters 9 and 10, written by Mandala Rose. The rating for this fic is explicit. The pertinent tags for this fic include Alternate Universe Coffee Shops and Cafes, Baker Dean Winchester, Reluctant Kitten Owner Dean Winchester, Cat Rescuer Castiel, Two-Person Love Triangle Online Meeting, Online Flirting Competently by dean Openly Gay Castiel Mentions of Past Canonical Character Death Fluff and Angst Pining, Slow Burn Fraudage, Masturbation Hand Kink No Kittens Come to Harm in This Story Chapter 9. Do Not Overmix Dean strides into the roadhouse, trying to fake a confidence he certainly doesn't feel. He's still not sure what possessed him to suggest that he and C.J. meet here, of all places. But he has to admit that the familiar smells and sounds of the place that's been nearly a second home to Dean since he first started bussing tables here at 15— have his shoulders relaxing before he's even made it to his favorite table, a booth in the back corner next to the kitchen. C.J. had warned Dean he'd be coming straight from work and would probably be starving. Knowing the guy's fondness for a good burger, he'd blurted out that he knew a place with the best burgers in South Dakota. C.J. had immediately challenged him to prove it, refusing to be deterred when Dean tried to backpedal and suggest somewhere else implying that Dean was afraid to put his meat where his mouth was. After that, he didn't really have a choice but to follow through and set up their date at the roadhouse. Now, as the sounds of the classic rock Ellen always keeps on washes over him and he looks around the Saturday night dining room, half empty now that the dinner rush is over and the bar rush hasn't quite picked up, Dean knows why he picked the roadhouse after all. Because this place, this tired old dive with its torn vinyl seats and low lighting, where you can hear kids laugh and squeal during the dinner hour, and old drunks tell dirty jokes and play Johnny Cash on the jukebox at midnight, this place is Dean. It's as much a part of him as baby, as Sam, as his bakery. A little rough around the edges, but full of light and laughter and love. Hey there, Dino, didn't expect you to show your pretty freckled face around here again, purrs a sultry voice next to Dean's ear. Did you miss me that much, or are you finally getting tired of playing Easy Bake Oven? Well, filled with light, laughter, love, and Meg. Easy Bake Oven, isn't that what they called you in high school? Dean smirks as Meg leans one hip casually against the table. "'arms folded in front of her. "'Should I tell Ellen the prodigal son has returned?' "'She turns to fetch Dean's former boss and pseudo-aunt, "'but he stops her with a hand on her arm. "'Uh, no, I'm actually meeting someone here,' Dean admits, "'willing himself not to blush. "'As Meg's eyebrows raise and her eyes drop to the hand still on her arm, "'he jerks it away as if burned.' using it to rub the back of his neck sheepishly instead. Meg settles back against the table, a wicked grin curling at the corners of her mouth. "'Well, isn't this interesting? You meeting your Tinder hookups here now, Winchester?' she adds as Dean's face flushes a deeper shade of burgundy than the sticky vinyl beneath him. "'I didn't meet him on Tinder,' he mumbles.' Still red faced at just how close Meg's question comes to the actual way he and CJ met. Grinder, then? Meg smirks evilly. Classy. I didn't meet him on Grinder either. It's not like that. Dean glowers. Oh, so this is serious. Meg looks delighted, which does not bode well for Dean. So, who's this mystery guy then? Someone you met at the new job? Or did you actually go and develop a social life when you ditched us? I didn't ditch you, Dean argues. I just got a new job. Jesus. Stow your fucking daddy issues for a minute. And no, I didn't meet him there. And no, I'm not going to tell you how I did meet him. So you can give up that idea as fast as you gave up your virginity in the back of that station wagon freshman year. "'Daddy issues. You're one to talk,' Meg snorts, but blissfully she drops that line of interrogation for the moment. "'Does this not-a-grinder hookup of yours got a name? "'Or should I just look for the only lone guy to come in not wearing a trucker hat?' She makes a face. "'He won't be wearing a trucker hat, will he? "'You don't look the type to be into bears.' "'For Christ's sake, Meg!' Dean growls. No, he won't be wearing a trucker hat, and his name's CJ. CJ? What's that stand for? It stands for none of your goddamn business, that's what. He grumbles, because there is absolutely nothing in hell, heaven, or purgatory that he doesn't have the first damn idea what those initials stand for. The longer this conversation goes on, the more he's regretting both his choice to bring CJ here and the decision to wait until they meet in person to reveal any identifying details about themselves. Fine, touchy, Meg observes with a pleased smirk. You want a drink while you wait? You look a little tense, she adds innocently, and Dean reminds himself that he doesn't hit girls, or whatever kind of tentacled, snake-haired she-monster Meg is. Taking a deep breath, he orders his beer and places the drink order CJ had given him, knowing Dean would almost certainly arrive at the roadhouse before him. He's barely had a moment to relax against the cool vinyl of the booth seat when a blonde ponytail and teasing smile that's only slightly more welcome than Meg's plopped down across from him. Dean curses himself for taking the seat against the wall instead of the one facing it, which would have hidden him from view of the rest of the restaurant. It's not like sitting here is going to make it any easier for CJ to spot him, since the guy doesn't even know what he looks like. Hey, Dean, Joe greets warmly. Been wondering when we'd see you around here again. I was just in here for dinner with Sam a couple of weeks ago, Joe. Dean sighs and reminds himself that appearances to the contrary, his family actually is happy for him and proud. Comments about Dean leaving are really their way of saying they're glad he got out. Ellen and Joe have been pushing him to do something else for years now. Doesn't keep him from feeling guilty, though. Yeah, but before that, you were here every day. Never thought I'd miss your ugly mug. But it definitely makes the roach motel chic decor of this place look better by comparison. Without you around, Mom might have to finally break down and redecorate. Oh, you miss me. That's so cute. Dean sings songs in a baby voice as he leans forward and tousles Joe's hair affectionately, laughing as she scowls and pulls down her ponytail, having to redo it now that several strands of hair have been pulled free and are sticking out at odd angles. You're a child, she retorts before sticking out her tongue. See if I do you any more favors. Oh, yeah, Dean says, brightening. I've heard things went well with Cass. Thanks again, even if you are a giant pain in my ass. Speaking of, I'm surprised you haven't made Cass a giant pain in your ass. Why the fuck aren't you tapping that, Winchester? Dude's a brick fucking house. Language, Joanna Beth. Dean chides in a scandalized voice, clutching at an imaginary pearl necklace before adding with a shrug. Me and Cass ain't like that. Yeah, so I gathered when he made that same face when I asked him about it. Joe answers immediately. But why not? Joe. Dean chastises the sister he most definitely never wanted for real this time. Tell me you didn't ask him that. You know what? Never mind. Of course you did. Dean heaves a weary sigh. Cass is my boss. Everyone knows you don't shit where you eat. Anyone ever tell you you got a charming way with words, Winchester? Joe rolls her eyes. Well, I am known for my tongue. Dean waggles his eyebrows at her. Gross! I'm gonna hurl! Joe whines before leaning towards the outside of the booth and making retching sounds. That's what you get for the pain in my ass comment, Dean admonishes. Joe ignores him. The way I hear it, that coffee shop needs you just as much as you need them that makes him more like your partner than your boss, she points out. All the more reason not to fuck anything up just because the guy's got pretty eyes. And a nice ass, Joe adds helpfully. Dean concedes the point with a tilt of his head. Besides, he adds, glancing around for Meg, I'm kind of interested in someone else. Where the fuck is Meg with his order? He's gonna have to explain to Joe why he's got two drinks coming and why he's going to be kicking her out of this booth soon, and he damn well needs a beer for that conversation. Aha! Joe shouts triumphantly, startling Dean so much he actually jumps before scowling at her. So you are seeing someone, I knew it! You don't know anything, he retorts automatically. That's who you were texting the entire time you and Sam were here for dinner, isn't it? She asks smugly, and damn it, Dean doesn't really have a comeback for that, since she's got it completely right. Damned if he's going to admit it, though. Oh, is Dino telling you all about his tender date? Meg asks with a grin as she sets two drinks down in front of Dean, making it clear that the other isn't for Joe. And great, of course, she picks now to show up. For the last time, CJ's not a tender date. Dean defends before taking a long and much-needed swig of his beer. Whatever you say, lover boy. If that's the case, though, why are you wearing your I'm-gonna-get-laid cologne? What? I don't have an I'm-gonna-get-laid cologne. Dean lies, shrinking back in his seat. Wait, is he really? Joe turns sideways to face Meg before clambering to her knees and leaning across the table to sniff at Dean. Oh, my God, you are, she cackles. You're totally wearing your pickup cologne. Get off, Dean grumbles, planting a palm in the center of Joe's face and shoving her gently backwards, where she topples into the booth seat laughing. He's almost regretting wearing this cologne, because Meg and Joe are right. It's 100% the cologne Dean wears when he's out for a good time. The round little bottle of Spice Bomb is just about the only luxury item Dean owns outside of Baby, which hardly counts, since Dean inherited her instead of paying for her. It's definitely a special occasion kind of extravagance for Dean, though, and nights when he goes out with the intention of not going home alone are about as special an occasion as he gets. Thought that's what you were going to do later with this CJ you told me about. Meg grins, and Dean narrows his eyes. Don't you have children to eat or puppies to turn into fur coats somewhere? No, but I do have tips to earn, and since I know you two won't be helping with that. Nope, not a chance. Dean and Joe answer at the same time, grinning at one another across the table. I'll leave you to fuck off and fend for yourselves. Meg finishes, flashing her middle finger behind her back at them as she struts away, already smiling at her next table. I can't believe she actually manages to get any tips, Dean says in disbelief, shaking his head. I can't believe Meg knows more about your mystery guy than I do, Joe says, picking up one of the laminated roadhouse menus and swatting Dean with it. He holds up an arm to fend off her attack. Relax, Meg doesn't know any more than you do. I only told her his name because he's supposed to be meeting me here any minute now. And no, you aren't meeting him. He says sternly as Joe opens her mouth, smiling as it closes again and falls into a pout. Why can't I meet him? Joe asks sulkily. Has Sam met him? No, Sam hasn't met him. Dean hesitates, taking another pull off his beer before deciding he may as well get this over with now, since it's bound to come out if he and CJ keep seeing each other. And Dean definitely has plans to see more of CJ in every possible way. Technically, I haven't met him yet. I thought you said this wasn't a tender hookup, Joe asks, eyeing Dean suspiciously. It's not, he assures her quickly, not even close. With a sigh, he relates the entire story of his and CJ's online meeting, starting with Sam's rescuing cupcake from Dean's doormat and Dean's resulting mad dash through the cat food aisle. Pet store girl sounds cute is all Joe says when Dean finishes his story. Really? Dean asks, astounded. That's your takeaway? Joe shrugs. Not like it's that unlike you to pick up a stray. What do you mean, not unlike me? I've spent half my damn life trying to keep Sam Doolittle Winchester from filling up my house with every stray cat, dog, and guinea pig he comes across. It's not like me at all to take in a stray cat. She snorts. Wasn't talking about the cat. Frowning, Dean points the neck of his almost empty beer at her. CJ's not a stray. Dean, you just told me he's living on his brother's couch. He's like the definition of a stray. It's not a couch, Dean grumbles. He has an air mattress. Oh, Joe says dramatically. An air mattress. Forgive me. Clearly he's well off then. My mistake. As Dean makes his best effort to recreate every Michael Myers Halloween scene using only his eyes, she relents with a sigh. Fine. At least tell me this guy's good-looking. Dean shifts uncomfortably. Uh, I don't exactly know. What do you mean you don't know? Joe practically shrieks. You haven't even seen a picture? Dean's barely had time to smirk and open his mouth when Joe interrupts, Of his face! He pokes his lips out in a pout instead. Joe's not nearly as much fun to mess with as Sam. No, okay, I haven't seen any pictures of his face, but it doesn't matter, he defends stubbornly. So wait, you're telling me you're choosing some guy you've only ever known online who could have a face like Wade Wilson... Over that walking GQ spread I met the other day? Wow. Didn't think you were that deep, Dean. Still waters, Joe. I've got hidden depths, Dean defends primly. Still, though, it'd be pretty hard for me to pass up that prime real estate for some sight unseen property. Not if you knew them like I know CJ, Dean explains. Besides, I'm pretty sure Cass has someone else he's more interested in, too. He mentioned that, Joe says, undeterred. But the way he was blushing says you still have a chance, if you want it. Dean doesn't expect the little pang he feels at the confirmation that Cass is indeed seeing someone, but there it is anyways. He shoves it down to the pit of his stomach, stomping on it for good measure as the guilt hits him. What kind of asshole wants someone to keep wanting them? even though they're head over heels for someone else. Does his ego really need that much stroking? He should be happy for Cass. He is happy for Cass. Shaking his head, he looks back at Joe. Look, he sighs. Even if I didn't have CJ, and even if it weren't for the working together thing, Cass and I still wouldn't work out. What makes you say that? He's pretty much exactly your type, Dean. Physically, sure, he concedes, but the guy's not like us, Joe. Leaning back and signaling for Meg for another beer, he tells Joe about Cass's Novak backstory, about how the guy's a millionaire, even if most of that money is temporarily out of reach. I'm not trying to be some Richie Rich's dalliance with one of the common folk, Dean ends in his worst possible British accent. Joe wrinkles her nose. Cass didn't seem like some rich snob to me, she defends. I thought he was really sweet and down to earth. Fuck knows my apartments aren't exactly luxury. But he didn't look down his nose at the place or anything. He actually seemed really excited to be signing the lease. Dean avoids Joe's eyes knowing she's right. Cass has never once even remotely acted like he thinks he's better than anyone else, no matter their circumstances. He shrugs uncomfortably. Still, though, it's not like we'd have anything in common. At least not the kind of things you need to build a relationship on. It's a weak defense, and he knows it. But for some reason, admitting that a relationship could possibly work with Cass feels like a betrayal of CJ, which Dean knows is ridiculous, but the feeling sits there anyways, looking smug. Asshole. This is why Dean hates feelings. Okay. But you don't really know much about online guy's history. What if he has the same kind of upbringing as Cass? Hell, what if he is Cass? What would you do if Cass walked through that door and sat down across from you? Dean swallows, resolutely ignoring the way his heart picks up speed at the thought. Probably slink away with my tail between my legs, he mumbles, avoiding Joe's knowing look with a drink of the new beer Meg dropped off on her way past the table thankfully without comment, since she had a tray full of food to deliver in her other hand. Joe rolls her eyes before glancing at CJ's sweating glass on the tabletop. Where is Loverboy anyways? Joe asks with a nervous frown. Shouldn't he be here by now? Dean shrugs, unworried. He said he'd probably be a few minutes late. He takes another drink of his beer, settling in for the next round of his Harbell interrogation. Resisting the urge to check his phone, he's not about to hand Joe that ammunition, and hoping CJ shows up to rescue him soon. Uh, boss? You might want to come see this. Kevin's voice travels down the hall leading to the rear of the shop, pitch rising in a way that has Castiel quickening his pace as he strides back toward the office and restrooms, pausing to hand their last customer her latte and chocolate chip muffin as he rounds the corner. Passing the two unisex restrooms, he sees the young barista standing in the open doorway to his office, holding the box of cups he'd gone back to fetch from the storeroom. "'What is it, Kevin?' Castiel asks, stepping carefully around a wet floor sign to reach his teenage employee, who's staring into the office wide-eyed. Kevin shifts to the side so he can see, and Castiel gasps, taking in the disarray before him. "'No, no, 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 no,' No! he shouts, shoving roughly past Kevin as he rushes toward the desk, which is now covered in a very sodden collection of inventory lists, orders, and invoices. The papers are the least of his concern, however. What's far more troublesome is the now very silent computer with a pitch-black screen instead of the generic Windows desktop it was displaying when he left it just twenty minutes ago. Water is still trickling down from the front of the monitor and dripping onto the keyboard from the brand-new, Soggy-edged hole in the ceiling tile above the desk. Nearly half the tile now sits in a puddle on the floor. He's reaching for the fried computer when he feels a hand on his arm. Cass, no. Electricity and water, not a good combination. Knowing Kevin is right and being glad his 16-year-old employee is apparently more level-headed in a crisis than he is, he drops his hand turning and heading instead to the back of the kitchen, where he locates and flips off the electrical breaker, helpfully labeled Office. Snagging a large metal mixing bowl from the kitchen on his trek back to the now-empty office, Kevin having returned to the front of the shop to take care of the few customers they get during dinner hours, mostly high school and college-age kids who are willing to replace meals with caffeine he unplugs the useless computer and sets the bowl underneath the dripping water. With the tile having been helpfully removed, via the combined forces of water saturation and gravity, he can now see the leaking copper pipe in the ceiling. It's not gushing nearly enough water now to account for the current state of his office, so he assumes it must have been leaking long and steadily enough to collect inside the unfortunate tile before being released just in time to completely ruin Castiel's evening. Sighing and heading to the front of the store, he calls the building manager, whose number is taped next to the cash register, along with both his and Gabe's cell numbers, in case their employees need to reach one of them in exactly this kind of situation. Twenty minutes later, Castiel has followed the manager's instructions to turn off the emergency water valve for the back half of the store, which unfortunately means they won't have working restrooms until the leak is repaired. He's just finished writing out a sign explaining and apologizing for the bathroom situation in thick black sharpie when the phone rings with the building manager's return call. Good evening from the sweet bean. Castiel. Yes, hello, Marv. Castiel steps as far to the side as the corded phone will allow, as Kevin moves around him, taking orders and making lattes for the two teens who have just come in, pointing at the flyer on the wall next to the register and encouraging them to come back for the Sweet Beans' first game night, starting in about two hours. Because, of course, they couldn't have a plumbing disaster on just any night. I was able to reach an after-hours plumber, but I'm afraid it's going to cost you a pretty penny. These guys don't come cheap. You sure you don't want to wait till morning? Marv sounds suspiciously unsympathetic about this fact. Castiel sighs, pinching the bridge of his nose. The price will be steep, but almost certainly won't outweigh losing an entire morning sales, which is what will happen if he waits until business hours to call. I'm sure, Marv. We can get by for tonight, but the kitchen is without water, too. All we have right now is our sink in the front of the shop. We can't open like this tomorrow. Castiel pulls two pieces of clear tape from the dispenser beneath the cash register and leans over the counter to affix the sign to the front of it. Hey, it's your money, kid. Well, your brother's money, I should say. Marv adds slyly in that whiny, nasally voice of his. I suppose your money is still out of reach for the moment. Any progress on the investigation? Castiel grits his teeth, reminding himself that the sweet bean needs this slimy bastard to oversee the kind of building maintenance that he and Gabe wouldn't know the first thing about. Plus, he has a feeling if he manages to get on Marv's bad side, he'll be encountering a great many leaky pipes, electrical outages, and any number of other small and untraceable but annoying and costly inconveniences. Actually, yes. Castiel turns toward the wall, hoping the sound of the espresso machine behind him will hide his next words from the handful of patrons waiting for their coffee at the end of the counter. I just received word a couple of days ago that I've been officially cleared as a suspect. Unfortunately, Castiel's bank accounts and assets— will likely remain frozen as evidence throughout the duration of his father and brother's trials. But at least he knows he definitely won't be joining the rest of the family behind bars. The news had been a welcome relief. He's a little embarrassed to admit, though, that as welcome as that news had been, it hadn't preoccupied his mind nearly as much this week as had his upcoming date with Dee. A date that is supposed to begin in... He glances at the clock on the cash register. Less than 45 minutes. Shit. Marv. Castiel cuts off Marv's very insincere congratulations. The man sounds distinctly disappointed that Castiel won't be facing a lengthy trial and possible prison sentence. No doubt because that drama would make for much better gossip. Did the plumber give you a time frame for when he'll arrive? he just said he'd be there as soon as he can. He sounded like he might have been in the middle of dinner when I called, though, Marv adds gleefully. So I'm imagining soon might have a pretty flexible definition. He thanks Marv before hanging up, glad he's on the phone and not in person so the other man can't see his eye roll, as he assures Castiel it's no problem at all. I live to serve. There's no way he's going to make it to the restaurant on time. He'd better message D and let him know that his few minutes late might have a very flexible definition. Reaching into his pocket for his cell phone, he frowns when he comes up empty and begins searching the countertop instead. It's several minutes before the thought occurs to him. Oh, no, 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 he says for the second time this evening rushing toward his office and hoping that sinking feeling in his stomach is wrong and his phone isn't where he thinks it is. Unfortunately, that hope is for naught, as Castiel rounds the doorway and discovers his smartphone lying in a pool of water on the desk. Groaning, he pulls the phone out of the puddle, grabbing a full stack of dish towels and half-heartedly attempting to sop up the mess as he gets up the nerve to investigate his waterlogged mobile. Castiel presses the side button, but as expected, his lock screen fails to appear. The phone is ruined. Or at the very least, it's at least three days in a bowl of rice away from being any kind of help. The growing ball of anxiety in Castiel's stomach tightens. Without his phone, he has no way to contact Dee, he doesn't even have Dee's phone number, and even if he did, he wouldn't have it memorized. Who memorizes telephone numbers in the age of smartphones? Uh, boss? Kevin's shaggy head appears around the doorframe, a fringe of hair falling across his eyes. What now? Castiel asks glumly at the hesitant expression on the boy's face. At this point, he wouldn't be surprised if Kevin told them their espresso machine exploded, or that the entire front of the building is on fire. Charlie just called, said she's been trying to reach you on your cell for the last 30 minutes, but you didn't answer. Castiel holds up his ruined smartphone while gesturing to the wet desk, and Kevin grimaces. Oh. Well, she says she's, and I quote, so, 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 so sorry, dude, but she's not going to make it tonight. Castiel's heart sinks, plopping onto the damp floor with an almost audible splat. Why not? Castiel had begged Charlie to cover for him on her night off from the pet store. She'd quickly agreed when he'd told her he had a date, though he wouldn't tell her with whom, assuaging her curiosity with assurances that it's only a first date and promises to tell her everything afterward. Like Gabe... She'd been more than a little disappointed his date wasn't with Dean, but had still agreed to cover for him, telling him there was no way she was missing the first game night regardless, so she might as well get paid to be there. Kevin winces. Apparently her car broke down on the side of the road after her LARPing event. The tow truck was supposed to be there by now, but she's still waiting, and she's two hours from home. Shit, shit, shit. Kevin, do you have your phone? Maybe he can at least call and leave a message for Dee at the roadhouse. With both his own phone and the only computer in the building down, Kevin is his only Google-ready option at the moment. No, sorry, man, it's in my mom's car. He rolls his eyes. She only lets me have it when I'm not at work or school. Fighting not to curse out loud at Linda and her overbearing parenting, Castiel sends Kevin back to the front and slouches against the desk. He spends several long minutes taking slow, deep breaths before he stands up and goes to fetch the board games he and Charlie selected for the evening. Who knows? Maybe Marv is wrong, and the plumber will be here any minute now. Dee's already expecting Castiel to be a few minutes late anyway, and it would be just like Marv to try and stir up drama for no reason. Marv is not wrong. Seven o'clock comes and goes, the start of he and Dee's date going with it. Having finished setting up the board games and putting out the cookies, brownies, and other nighttime-friendly treats Dean had prepped for the evening, Castiel resorts to pacing up and down the hallway between orders, his stomach in knots. Why hadn't he had the foresight to keep a printed list of employee names and phone numbers on hand, "'instead of just relying on the computer. "'If he had that, he could easily call someone else in to cover for him. "'He can't in good conscience leave a 16-year-old alone "'to be solely responsible for both running the shop "'and handling the plumber, though, no matter how mature. "'It wouldn't be right. "'Plus, Linda Tran would skin him alive. "'He'd asked Kevin if he could call his mom, "'but the kid hadn't even known his own mother's phone number.' Who memorizes numbers anymore? We have smartphones for a reason, man. He's called Gabe's number at least four times in the past 30 minutes, but of course his brother isn't answering. Probably out on his own date, Castiel thinks bitterly. Wisely electing to keep out of his boss's way as much as possible, Kevin is the picture of quiet efficiency, greeting their game night arrivals warmly and making sure to push Dean's baked goods. Castiel makes a mental note that as soon as they can afford it, the Tran family are getting raises. His own shift to manager salary can wait a little longer. It's nearly a quarter to eight when Castiel's Salvation walks in the door, taking the form of a gangly, floppy-haired 19-year-old. Sam Winchester smiles warmly as he strides in. Hey, Cass. Hey, Kev. This looks great. Sam! Castiel almost shouts at him, making the poor boy jump. Can I borrow your phone? Uh, sure? Sam looks a little nervous as he hands over his smartphone, and Castiel can hardly blame him. He probably looks deranged, but Sam's phone will have Dean's number in it, making it currently the only way he has of contacting another Sweet Bean employee. Dean, he thinks as he scrolls through Sam's contacts, Distantly aware of Kevin relaying his series of unfortunate events to his friend, Dean will save him. Realizing whose number Castiel must be searching for, Sam's eyes go wide and he lifts a hand. Uh, Cass, Dean's actually... What Dean actually is, Castiel doesn't learn, because the phone's already ringing, and after just two rings, Dean picks up. Sammy, what's wrong? Um, hello, Dean. It's Castiel. I'm borrowing Sam's phone. Oh, hey, Cass. Same question. Castiel gives Dean the most abridged version of events he can, explaining that he had to borrow Sam's phone to call since their computer lost an altercation with their plumbing and he had no way to look up Dean's number. I'm so sorry to ask you on your day off, Dean but is there any way you could come in and cover the store with Kevin? It's our first game night, so it's busier than usual, and I can't leave just one person here with the plumber coming. Normally, I'd just stay myself, but I have plans that I'm already horrendously late for. Dean hesitates, and then sighs. Never mind, Cass says quickly, feeling guilty. I understand if you have your own plans. Please don't worry about it. I can stay. Of course Dean has plans. It was stupid of Castiel to ask him to come in. Cass, haven't you been there all day? Dean asks softly. Well, yes, but the occasional double shift is part of being the store manager. You cover the shifts no one else can. It comes with the territory. Except there is someone else who can cover this one, Dean says firmly. I'll be there in twenty. You don't have to do this, Dean. It really is fine. You should enjoy your evening. It takes a great effort to force out the words, but Cass does. He can't be unfair to Dean just because he's trying to salvage his date. No, nah, it's no trouble, Cass. It looks like my plans have fallen through anyway. Dean sounds resigned and a little sad, and Castiel can't help but wonder if Dean's plans were with that mysterious someone he's interested in. As guilty as he feels that Dean's romantic misfortune might prevent his own, he still can't help taking the man up on his offer. Thank you, Dean, truly. You're a lifesaver. Kevin practically shoves Castiel out the door after that, assuring him that he is more than capable of keeping the place from burning down for the twenty minutes until Dean arrives. Castiel makes it to the roadhouse in ten pushing open the heavy wooden door with one hand while fruitlessly attempting to tug the wrinkles out of his black work button-up with the other. He flounders for a moment in the restaurant's entryway, eyes darting from table to table. Hey there, handsome. How many for tonight? Oh, just me. Castiel answers the flirty server with the heart-shaped face and teasing smirk. As her smile widens, he quickly adds, but I'm meeting someone. He should already be here. The smirk falls as the server's sharp eyes narrow. Sure. Can I get your name? Castiel, uh, but um, he calls me CJ. I'm looking for D. A new look overtakes the woman's fair features, making her look both smug and spiteful at once. Hate to break it to you, Clarence. She draws, stepping to the side and gesturing to a booth in the far corner of the room. But I'm afraid you just missed him. Castiel's heart plummets to his feet like a stone in an empty wishing well. Shuffling past the snarky server's outstretched arm, he takes in the only occupants of the deserted table, two empty beer bottles and an untouched whiskey sour. Chapter 10. Add Chocolate Chips Feet dragging across the thin, worn dining room carpeting, Castiel finds himself drawn to the empty table, the table where Dee had clearly waited for him, going so far as to order Castiel's drink and then watch as the ice slowly melted, condensation dripping onto the table when Castiel never arrived. He feels wretched, which he's sure must be nothing compared to how D feels right now. His friend puts up a good front, but Castile knows he's a sensitive soul at heart. He'd been in such a hurry to get to D that he hadn't even thought to use Sam's phone to call the restaurant instead. Why hadn't he called ahead to let D know that he was on his way? He might have still been there then. He could have been face to face with D at last, first begging his forgiveness for being so late, and then maybe even getting a hug hello. Instead, he's sitting here with no way to contact the man, and a depressing certainty that even if he did, his contact wouldn't be welcome. He takes a seat at the scratched and scarred table, not the one clearly reserved for him by the sweating whiskey sour, but the one with two finished beers, The one D was sitting in just minutes ago. If Castiel closes his eyes, he can almost imagine that he can still smell the other man's cologne. Something spicy and familiar. It takes Castiel a moment to place the scent. It's not until another server walks by carrying a basket of dinner rolls that he remembers where he smelled it before. It smells almost like the cologne Dean wore that day of his first catering job. It's hard to be certain because Dean's cologne had mixed with the scents of half a dozen different pastries that morning, but they're definitely similar. Castiel pushes the thought of his attractive co-worker out of his mind. Guilt over picturing Dean is the last thing he needs to add to tonight's disaster. Cass? What are you doing here? Castiel startles out of his mire of self-loathing, opening his eyes and knocking over the beer bottle his fingertips had been resting against in the process. A thin arm reaches out to steady the bottle, and Castiel follows it up to a familiar face. Joe? Yeah. Not that it's not nice to see you again, but I thought Dean was on his way to help you out at the shop. He is, Castiel admits. I was supposed to meet someone here but a plumbing emergency made it impossible for me to leave work on time. Dean's going in to cover, but it looks like I missed my date anyways. Your date? Joe asks slowly, her eyebrows climbing as she sinks into the seat across from Castiel. Um, yes. Castiel scrunches his eyebrows at the oddly acting blonde. How did you know Dean is on his way to the bean anyway? Did he call you? He can't imagine why Dean would have called Joe to let her know he was going into work. Unless, of course, they had plans. Oh, dear. Had Dean lied when he told Castiel he was free? It would be just like him. If so, I apologize. Dean told me his plans for the evening had fallen through. Oh, they did, Joe says faintly, waving a hand. Or, at least, he thought they did, but never mind that. Her shocked expression morphs into a sly smirk. Tell you what, I'll tell you how I knew about Dean's change of plans after you tell me all about this guy you were supposed to meet. How did you know it was a guy? Castiel asks, narrowing his eyes. Did you see him? Lucky guess, Joe answers quickly, and Castiel is certain she's lying, but doesn't get the chance to call her on it before she adds, Now spill! Spill! And to his surprise, Castiel does. He tells Joe all about how he met Dee online, thanks to Charlie's interference, and how their casual kitten conversations grew into a friendship, which grew into a crush, which Castiel had hoped for one shining moment might grow into something more. It feels good to talk about Dee with someone who isn't making lewd comments every 30 seconds, though he can tell by the look on Joe's face, in their previous conversation, that she probably wants to. At least she's not acting like Castiel is crazy for falling for a guy he's never met. He's nearly finished his story when Meg shows up at the table, setting a fresh whiskey sour in front of Castiel with a sickeningly sweet smile. Here you go, Clarence. Just thought I'd freshen up that drink for you, hot stuff. Before Castiel can thank her, Joe immediately slides the drink away. Don't drink that. Castiel blinks, but remembering the look on Meg's face when he'd first mentioned Dee, decides to heed Joe's advice and slumps back in his seat. Tucking the empty beer bottles under an arm and grabbing a glass with each hand, Joe disappears into the kitchen, returning a few minutes later with a basket of mozzarella sticks, a beer for herself, and a third whiskey sour for Castiel, which she assures him is safe. So... Joe says around an unattractive mouthful of gooey mozzarella. I take it this D is the someone you told me you're seeing? Yes, Castiel admits, feeling himself blush. At least he was. I'll be lucky if he even wants to speak to me again after this, let alone date me. You really like him, though, huh? She asks with a kind smile. I really do. He acknowledges glumly waving away the offer of mozzarella sticks as Joe nudges the basket towards him. Shrugging, the blonde picks up another stick, pointing at Castiel with it. Wow, you sound just as screwed as Dean, she says. What do you mean? You know, the whole head over heels for some mystery guy thing. Or are you still pretending you didn't know about that? He gave me the impression you guys had maybe talked about it. Castiel shrugs. Wasn't my news to share. Grinning, Joe dunks the mozzarella stick in marinara. Well, lucky for you, I have no such scruples. Dean is totally crazy about this guy. I don't think I've ever seen him light up like that when he talks about someone before. You said he's screwed, though. Are things not going well? I know Dean was worried his feelings wouldn't be returned. He knows he shouldn't invade Dean's privacy like this, but Dean plays everything so close to the chest, and Castiel will admit he's wondered more than once if Dean has made any progress with his maybe-unrequited crush. He had hoped so, as Dean had seemed even more cheerful than usual this week, but Castiel couldn't be certain that wasn't just him projecting his own feelings over his upcoming date with Dee. "'Oh, trust me, that's not a problem.' Turns out this idiot is just as hopeless and pathetic as Dean is. They're a perfect match. Castiel forces a smile, even though his heart twists painfully in his chest. He will not be envious of his friend's love. Dean deserves good things. That's good. I hope it works out for them. I was a little worried that they might have plans together this evening, and I was interrupting. Oh, they definitely had plans this evening that's what fell through. Joe swallows half the mozzarella stick, and Castiel thinks she and Charlie would get along. He's often wondered how someone with as deep and abiding a love for fried food as his petite friend can stay so tiny. He frowns. Oh, is everything okay? Well, he kind of got stood up. At Castiel's alarmed look, she continues. Don't worry, it wasn't the other guy's fault." He had an emergency at work and couldn't get away. Dean didn't know that, though. Poor guy sat here for an hour sipping on his beer and gushing on and on about how great this dude was. It takes Castiel a moment to parse Joe's words. But when he does, he suddenly finds that he can't breathe. She's joking. That has to be it. She can't possibly mean. Here, he squeaks. Dean was at the roadhouse. Well, not here, Joe answers, looking down at herself. More like there. She nods at Castiel. Where you're sitting. No. Castiel shakes his head, his eyes glued to Joe's face, searching for any sign of a lie. "Mm Mm-hmm, she confirms with another sympathetic smile. Had to get a couple beers in him first. But then he just wouldn't shut up about how great this CJ guy is. CJ's so smart, he was going to be a veterinarian, Joe, she says, mimicking Dean's deep voice. He likes horror movies almost as much as I do, even if he doesn't get why Bruce Campbell is the fucking man. I don't get it either, by the way, she adds conspiratorially. But Dean's always had a weird crush on the guy. You're serious? he answers faintly. Yep. Joe pops the P at the end of the word while looking like a cat that got the six-foot-tall canary. I have to go see Dean. Castiel attempts to rise to his feet, but is stopped abruptly by Joe's hand on his sleeve, hauling him back down to his seat with surprising strength. Not so fast there, cowboy, she says. What are you planning to do? I've got to tell him. Castiel explains the obvious. Tell him that I'm CJ and he's D. I mean, he knows that he's D, but he doesn't know that I, that we're. Suddenly, the absurdity, the impossibility of the entire thing hits Castiel, and he slumps back against the maroon vinyl. Would Dean even believe him? And is this really a conversation he wants to have at the coffee shop? Where they work? Together? Castiel can't believe what a mess this has become. Clearly seeing the comprehension dawning on his face, Joe slides his whiskey sour toward him. Drink, she advises. He takes a sip of the cold drink, letting it soothe the adrenaline rush that's still urging him to sprint for his car. He thinks I stood him up, he says to Joe miserably. I hurt him. "Uh Uh-huh, she agrees. Which is all the more reason you can't just go in there and dump all this on him when he's already feeling vulnerable. Dean does a lot of things well. Vulnerability ain't one of them. But wouldn't he be happy to know he wasn't really stood up? That I really did, do, want to be with him? Look, Cass, Joe says gently, Dean and CJ weren't the only couple he and I talked about tonight. We also talked about Dean and you. Me, he asks in surprise. But there is no Dean and me. We're just co-workers, friends. We don't even know one another that well. Exactly, she nods. A sinking feeling hits Castiel, and it's like all his worst fears come true at once. Are you saying that Dean wants to be with CJ, but he wouldn't want to be with me? When I asked him why he was so hell-bent on starting something with a guy he had never even met, when he spends most of every day with you, he said that a relationship between the two of you could never work. Because you're, you know, you. A Novak. A Novak. Does Dean think I'm like my brothers? That I stole from innocent people? I would never do that. I thought he knew. No, no, not like that. Joe cuts off Castiel's spiraling. It's just that you're from different worlds, okay? Dean hasn't exactly had an easy life. If you know about his parents... She looks at Castiel, clearly hesitant to reveal something so personal, but Castiel nods reassuringly, piecing together the things in his mind that he knows about both Dean and Dee's histories. His mom always wanted to open a bakery, but she passed away. His dad owned a garage that he wanted Dean to take over. But then he passed away too. He feels his heart ache for his friend once more as the pieces slide into place. The family business that didn't work out for D was the garage his father owned, his father who passed away. And the dream job D talked about being a baker, opening his own bakery in memory of his mother and his father, Castile realizes now a way to carry on a Winchester family business. If he hadn't already known he was in love before, Castiel knows it now. He feels like he's seen the full picture of both Dean and Dee for the first time, and it's even more beautiful than he could have imagined. Yeah, but it wasn't just that. Mary was sick for a long time before she died, most of Dean's childhood, actually, and they spent every cent they had on her medical bills. Money was always tight, but it didn't get real bad until after she died. His dad didn't take it well. Most of his paycheck ended up in the bottom of a bottle. And after a while, both their house and his business got foreclosed on. Dean didn't even tell anyone for months. They were living out of motel rooms and John's old car until Sam finally fessed up to my mom. It wasn't long after when John wrapped his car around a tree. I didn't know, Castiel whispers, feeling heartbroken as he traces his fingertips over the deepest of the table's many scratches, as if he can somehow soothe away such a lingering hurt. Of course not, because Dean doesn't tell anyone that story. There at the end, John managed to scrape enough together to buy a beat-up old trailer to live in, and Dean still lives in it now. My mom helped John buy it, and I'm pretty sure Dean knows, but no one ever talks about it. I think that's the reason he's always refused a raise whenever my mom tried to give him one, though. It's his way of paying her back. Dean's one of the most kind-hearted, stubborn, and stupidly proud people I've ever known. Castiel smiles at the unmistakable pride in her voice. I've gotten that sense from Dean. He works very hard to prove himself and never seems to want to accept help, though he's the first to offer it to someone else. It's so very different from the world I grew up in, where so many people took everything given to them as a matter of course, never doubting they deserved it, even if they hadn't actually done anything to earn it. That's exactly it. Joe smiles at him sadly. Two different worlds... And that's why Dean thinks a relationship between you would never work out. Castiel's heart shatters. He said that. The blonde head across from him nods. Hearing your stories about living on an air mattress in your brother's apartment, Dean spent months thinking CJ is just like him. that they come from the same kind of background, share some of the same experiences. Finding out that it's not true will crush him. "'But everything I've said to him as CJ is true,' Castiel argues. "'And maybe we don't have a lot of common experiences from our past, "'but we have so much in common now. "'Doesn't that matter more than how we grew up?' "'It should, sure, but look around, Cass. "'You can't tell me this is the kind of place you're used to having dinner in. "'There's a tear in the vinyl on that booth seat older than me. "'People throw peanut shells on the ground in the bar area.' And the goddamn floor's always sticky. But I love it. This place is me, and I love it. So does Dean. And it's scary, you know. Embarrassing, even, letting outsiders in here. Knowing they might see the ripped vinyl and the flickering light bulbs and not love it like we do. Might even judge us for it. The significant look she shoots at Castiel says plainly that she's talking about a whole lot more than a dimly lit dive bar. If there's anyone here who should feel any kind of shame over where they come from or how they were raised, it's me, Castiel says hotly. And I would never judge someone, least of all, someone as incredible and and good as Dean for their upbringing. An auburn-haired woman with a towel slung over one shoulder pauses in her work, wiping down a nearby table, and Castiel feels himself flush, resolving to keep his voice down. Hey! Joe defends, holding up her hands placatingly. I'm with you. I'm just saying I know how Dean thinks, and Dean... Dean's stupid. He opens his mouth to argue, but Joe fends him off with a hand. Not stupid intelligence-wise, when it comes to anything math or science-related, like cars or cooking, Dean's a frickin' genius. When it comes to handling his feelings, though, he's a glorified toddler. Sighing, he acquiesces. I guess I can't judge. I'm not exactly known for my ability to navigate interpersonal relationships either. Joe looks around innocently. You don't say. Glaring at her and getting a smug grin in return, he asks, What should I do? I can't go on pretending to be CJ forever. Of course not. Joe quickly agrees. Just maybe don't tell him right away. Make an effort to have him get to know you a bit better as Cass. So he realizes that the two of you really do have more in common than the name at the top of your paychecks. But won't that risk confusing him further, making him feel torn between me and CJ? Castiel thinks of the guilt he's been feeling, fighting his attraction to Dean while falling for Dee. The last thing I want to do is hurt him. Again. Castiel winces. Jo rolls her eyes. It's just for a few days. A week or two at most, she says soothingly. Just long enough for Dean to realize you're more than a former trust fund baby with pretty eyes and a nice ass. Besides, it's not like I'm telling you to lead the guy on for months before finally agreeing to meet him and then standing him up or something. Castiel glares at her for a moment before perking up slightly. Dean thinks I have a nice ass. Laughing, Joe throws a wadded up napkin. Hitting Castiel squarely in the face as she says, You two really are perfect for one another, you know that, right? Feeling himself smiling his first genuine smile of the evening, Castiel finally stands, leaning down to give Joe a brief hug. Thanks, Joe, he says as he pulls back. And by the way, he gestures around them. When I look at this place, I don't see ripped vinyl or sticky floors. He looks at the tear Joe mentioned, which has been carefully stitched up by hand. I see tables and chairs painstakingly put back together with patience and care. His fingertips graze the gouged tabletop. I see a place where things aren't discarded just because they've been damaged. Several feet away, the auburn-haired woman has stopped her table-wiping ruse entirely and is suddenly staring at Castiel with glittering eyes. Looking down, he smiles faintly as he sees the scratches from a new angle, tracing the well-worn letters with a fingertip. The initials SW and DW are carved into the table. And I see a family, held together not by blood or by name, but by love. I think anyone should be proud to be from a place like this. I would be. Joe beams at him as he squeezes her arm and moves away nodding at the woman who he's now almost certain is Joe's mother and Sam and Dean's not-aunt Ellen as he walks past. He hears a distinct sniff behind him before a slightly throaty voice says, Well, if that damn fool boy don't want him back, I'll sure as hell take him. Startling into consciousness, Dean struggles for air, finding himself unable to breathe as memories of the nightmare flood his mind. Clawing, grasping, gasping for breath as he realizes he's buried alive. Coming back to himself as the last vestiges of sleep fall away, he reaches up to shove the damned cat off his face, sucking in air at last. Damn it, Cupcake! He growls between heaving breaths. How many times have I told you not to do that, huh? Cupcake gives an indignant yowl before hopping off Dean's bed and onto the floor, looking pointedly at the doorway. Yeah, yeah, I'm coming, Dean grumbles, dragging a hand down his sleep-creased face before hauling himself upright. Stretching and yawning, he grabs his phone from the nightstand before following Cupcake to the kitchen. Tossing the phone on the counter, he refills the now eagerly mewling Cat's food and water dishes, trying not to trip over the apparently starving feline twining herself around his ankles. Damn Cat eats better than he does, but to hear her now, you'd think she hadn't eaten in days. What, you going for the Emmy? He asks at a particularly dramatic mule. Making a face, he opens the can of wet food Cupcake always starts her day with before dumping it onto a saucer with a disturbingly moist plop. It's a hell of a thing to smell pre-coffee, but she loves the damn stuff, and on days Dean works, it makes him feel a little less guilty for leaving her alone all day. "'This would go a lot quicker without you trying to kill me, you know,' he says pointedly as he stumbles around the determined ginger." but Cupcake's yowls only get louder. All right, all right, here. Dean growls in his sleep-roughened draw, finally setting the dish down in front of the hungry ball of fur and stepping away as she digs in like Sammy at an all-you-can-eat salad bar. Not even a thank you. Dean shakes his head as the cat devours her meal without looking up. Ungrateful, that's what you are. It's not until he's got the coffee brewing in the ancient Mr. Coffee that came with the trailer and is probably nearly as old that Dean sees the message notification on his phone. Leaving the phone where it lies on the countertop peninsula, he leans back against the sink and stares at the tiny blue icon on his lock screen. There's only one person who sends him DMs on Twitter his need for caffeine suddenly too urgent to wait for the entire pot to brew. Dean pulls down a coffee mug and fills it from the half-full carafe, rushing to return it to the machine. The hiss and sizzle of coffee dripping onto the burner plate fills the otherwise silent kitchen, Dean's Mr. Coffee being older than the automatic stop-brew feature most newer models have. Dean looks down as Cupcake, breakfast finished, "'Rubs her nose against his shin and thanks. "'You're welcome,' he says gruffly, "'before nodding at the still, untouched phone. "'I should at least read it, right?' "'Cupcake gives him another nose nudge, "'and Dean figures that's her being supportive "'of whatever choice he makes. "'She's a good cat that way. "'Feeling hollowed out, "'he drags his eyes away from the blinking phone "'and stares into his coffee cup instead.' He knows he needs to read whatever bullshit message C.J. has sent him and deal with his issues. After all, that's why he's home in the first place. He looked like such a sad sack of shit at work yesterday that Cass insisted he take today off. Dude seemed to think Dean's sorry state was his fault for asking him to come in and close Thursday night, knowing he'd be opening Friday morning. Dean had tried to insist he was fine, and pointed out that he'd watched Cass work back-to-back closings and openings dozens of times, but the guy kept shooting him such Sam-level puppy-dog eyes all day he eventually caved. Truthfully, though, Dean would much rather be at work, where the hum and buzz of his kitchen could distract him from his traitorous thoughts. Thoughts like, why didn't CJ show up Thursday night? Why is he just now messaging two days later? If he didn't really want to meet Dean, why did the asshole ask him out in the first place? That's the one that really gets Dean. The whole thing was CJ's idea. Sure, Dean had been planning to ask him out too. But the fact is, CJ had done it first. He asked Dean out, then stood him up. It doesn't make any sense. Naturally, he's gone through all the worst-case scenarios. Maybe CJ was hurt. Maybe he'd been in a car accident. Or maybe he'd fallen down the stairs and broken both arms. Or maybe it was even worse. He'd spent all night Thursday and all day Friday alternating between hurt, anger, and fear to the point of exhaustion. At least he had, until late last night when he'd finally dragged himself to bed and, because clearly Dean's a masochist, had pulled up his message history with C.J., wanting to look once again for any hints in their previous messages that C.J. might possibly be the kind of asshole who makes guys fall in love with him and then stands them up. That's when he'd noticed the little blue check mark next to his messages. The bastard had read Dean's messages from Thursday night. The messages where he'd asked C.J. if everything was okay, if he was going to be later than expected, if he was still coming. If he could just let Dean know if he was alright, he'd read them, but not responded. At least he hadn't until now. Stealing his resolve, Dean picks up his phone and taps the notification to pull up his waiting message. Hello, Dee. I've been staring at these messages all night, trying to think of something, anything I could say to make this right. Please know that I would never stand you up intentionally. There was an accident at work and my phone was destroyed. I had to take care of everything there before I could leave for our date, and by the time I finally made it to the restaurant, you were gone. I am so sorry. I'll understand if you don't want to speak to me again, but I truly hope that we can at least still be friends. I would miss you so much, Dee. I already do. Swallowing the lump around his throat, Dean sets his coffee cup back on the counter with a thud and drags a hand across his suddenly burning eyes. He stares at the message for several more seconds before coming to a decision. Hands only slightly shaking, he starts to type his response. Your phone was destroyed. That's all you got. It's the truth. If I had known a way to contact you, Dee, please know that I would have. CJ's reply pops up so quickly, Dean knows the man must have been checking his phone constantly, just waiting for Dean's response. For some reason, instead of soothing him, that knowledge only makes him irrationally angrier. They don't have phones where you work, or computers, I would think at least one of those would be important to have in the customer service industry. I know it sounds unbelievable, but our computers were down as well. And without a phone number to call, the landline didn't do me much good. Right, so you're saying there was absolutely nowhere you could have gone. No possible way in the hour and a half that I waited for you. That you could have had someone at least look up the number to the damn restaurant for you? Dean scoffs. Really? Come on. He'd expected a better excuse than this. I know that seems like a fairly simple solution now, but at the time I was just so fixated on getting out of there and getting to you that by the time it occurred to me I should have found a way to call ahead, I was already on my way. I cannot tell you how much I wish things had gone differently. How sorry I am that I hurt you. It's all I've thought about for the past day and a half. Frowning at his phone, Dean sits down heavily at the spindly kitchen table. CJ seems genuinely remorseful, but Dean isn't quite ready to forgive him yet. He blinks in surprise. Huh. He hadn't realized until now that he was even considering forgiving CJ, but there it is. Doesn't mean he's going to make it easy on the guy, though. Okay, fine, I get that, but I'm still pissed. I sat in that restaurant like an idiot for an hour and a half, trying to convince everyone there that you were real. I felt like freaking Linus waiting for the great pumpkin. I know, and again, I'm so sorry. I think we missed each other by minutes. At least, that's the impression Meg gave. Dean nearly drops the phone in shock. Meg? CJ really did go to the roadhouse. Pressing his contacts button, it's only seconds before Dean has the phone to his ear. Meg's number dialing. What the fuck, Winchester? Why the hell are you calling me at the crack of... Meg's sleep-heavy voice pauses as she checks the time. 9 a.m. on a Saturday. I close Friday nights, you dick. Yeah, sorry. Dean lies unconvincingly. Thursday night, when I was at the roadhouse. You mean when you got stood up by your grinder date? Dean grits his teeth. He's not sure why he thought Meg would be in any way helpful. He wasn't a... Deep breaths. Sure. Then, did he ever happen to show up looking for me? And what do I get out of it if I tell you? Well, if you don't tell me, I'm going to stop by that fucking roach motel you call an apartment and pound on the goddamn door every morning on my way to work. At 4 a.m. Fine. So touchy. Meg sulks. Yes, okay. Clarence showed up about ten minutes after your little lovesick puppy self crawled out of there with your tail between your legs. Happy? When I'm talking to you, never. Dean snarks back. Clarence? CJ's name is Clarence. No wonder he goes by CJ. Of course, this is Meg, so who the fuck actually knows? Meg lies like breathing. Then my life is complete. You thinking about giving tall, dark, and fuckable a second chance? Gotta say, I wouldn't mind being the fillin' in that big gay sand. Pressing the end button before Meg can finish her sentence, Dean switches back to his message with CJ. You really were there. Yes, I really was. Meg was. Interesting. She seems very fond of you in an odd and vaguely terrifying kind of way. Despite himself, Dean feels the corner of his lips twitch upward at that. You didn't eat or drink anything she gave you, did you? Almost, but then I remembered every fairy tale I'd ever read that warns about taking food or gifts from strangers. I'm fairly certain Meg is the reason those stories exist. Dean's chuckling softly to himself when CJ's next message appears. His heart feels like it splinters in his chest as he reads CJ's words. D, are we still friends? Friends. The truth is, Dean's not sure. Just a few days ago, he thought they were well on their way to a lot more than friends. A few days ago, he was ready to jump headfirst into a full-blown relationship with a man whose face he'd never seen. He was that confident of their feelings for one another. Now, he can't help but second-guess every interaction. Doubt every sentiment. Did CJ really mean all those things he said? Has he been leading Dean on this entire time? Hell, for all Dean knows, CJ could be catfishing him. Okay, so maybe that last one isn't likely. After all, Dean did contact him first. Unless Charlie is some kind of weird catfish wingman. No, that can't be true. Dean's gotten to know Charlie over these past few months at the Sweet Bean, and she's good people. He can't believe that of her. Dean swallows. He supposes they're still friends. He's not sure if they'll ever be more than that now, and that fucking hurts. But he can't bear the thought of cutting the guy out of his life entirely. His conversations with Joe and Sam come rushing back at him again, and he thinks about just how invested he's been in this relationship that, well, might not even be real. He's spent every spare moment glued to his phone, choosing talking to his seemingly imaginary friend over hanging out with his real friends and family. Hell, Cass was right there in front of him, solid, real, and clearly wanting Dean, And all Dean could think about was someone whose name he doesn't know. Look, man, I want to be friends. I really do. If I'm honest, I can't imagine my life without you in it. But I think I'm going to need some time. I'll just wait here, then. Take all the time you need. Standing suddenly from the table and startling Cupcake who'd been dozing with her head on Dean's foot. He dumps the dregs of his coffee in the sink before rinsing off his cup and heading to the shower. Cass can grump all he wants, but Dean can't stand the thought of sitting here all day with nothing but his thoughts and CJ's messages for company. He'd rather drown his wounded pride in work. An hour later, he's freshly showered and shaved as he walks into the bean, hoping he at least looks a little less shitty than he still feels. All worries about himself and his own problems take a back seat, however, the moment he takes in Cass, slumped behind the counter, staring at his smartphone and looking like he hasn't slept in days. Cass? You okay, man? Dean. Cass startles, quickly tucking his phone into his pocket, as if Dean gives a damn that he's checking his phone on the clock. Something that looks like a bizarre cross between relief and pain Flashes across Cass's features before he forces them into something that might pass for neutral. What are you doing here? I thought you were taking the day off. Yeah, well, it looks like you need it way more than me. No offense, but you look like hell, man. You okay? Cass looks for a moment like he's about to say something, then shakes his head. I'm fine. I just made a mistake, and I think I may be making another one but what's done is done, I suppose. Suddenly alarmed, Dean steps closer, putting a hand on Cass's bicep. Did something happen with the investigation? Are they not clearing you after all? Smiling weakly, Cass looks up at him with slightly red-rimmed eyes. No, not that. I'm still rightfully in the clear. This is more... personal. Dean sags in relief as he studies his friend. The guy's usually impeccably ironed button-up is rumpled. His hair is even more of a mess than usual, which is really saying something. And every pore seems to radiate sadness. Cass looks like Dean feels, and Dean takes a chance. Relationship trouble? Cass's eyes widen, and Dean feels himself flush. Maybe he shouldn't be getting so personal with someone who is technically his boss. But he knows Cass remembers that morning, standing in these very same spots behind the counter just as clearly as he does. He shrugs. Just a hunch. Cass nods and licks his lips before answering. Something like that. Only I don't think there's a relationship for there to be trouble in. At least not anymore. Maybe there never was. Dean feels those words resonate deep within him. Do you want to talk about it? Shaking his head, Cass drops his eyes. I shouldn't burden you with my problems. Dean frowns. You're not a burden, Cass. We're friends. That's what friends do. Cass smiles softly at him. Even so, he says quietly. Well, Dean takes a deep breath. If it helps, I know how you feel. Cass studies him with eyes so sad that Dean almost feels like he can't breathe under the weight of their sincerity when Cass murmurs, I'm so sorry, Dean. More than anything in that moment, Dean wants to pull Cass into his arms, to offer his friend comfort and seek some in return. But something, something about this moment feels so fragile. If he hugs Cass now, It feels like the moment might shatter, or maybe they will. Instead, he clears his throat, dropping his hand from the arm he hadn't even realized he was still holding, and taking a step back. You know what we need, he asks roughly, as Cass tilts his head in question. Cookies, Dean says matter-of-factly. Come on, I haven't made you my salted caramel chocolate chunk cookies yet. They're almost as sexy as I am. Dean waggles his eyebrows theatrically, pulling an unwilling chuckle from Cass. He might not know how to fix things with CJ right now, but maybe he can at least distract himself and make his friend feel a little better in the process. Cass smiles fondly as Dean pulls him by the sleeve, and they spend most of their afternoon making and eating half a dozen different flavors of cookies between customers deciding to make their newly dubbed salted caramel chocolate breakup cookies a permanent part of the menu. For a while, Dean almost forgets to be heartbroken as he loses himself in cookies and in Cass. Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at making it up as we go pod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.